If you want to find a Bible or you have your Bible, will you turn with me to Mark's Gospel, chapter 5. Mark's Gospel, chapter 5 and verse 21. We've been looking at um, how faith is exhibited in Mark's Gospel. And what does faith look like for a disciple? What does faith look like on the difficult days and on the days when everything seems to be going wrong? And what we're doing between now and Easter is looking at the the moments in Mark's Gospel where the references to faith are explicit. So that's how we're working our way through the Gospel. And so we find it here. Last week we were looking at Jesus in the storm when he stills the storm. And uh, today we're on verse 21. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered round him while he was by the lake. And one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came. And when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed round him. And a woman was there who'd been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She'd suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes... I'll be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned round in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciple answered, and yet you can ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see what had done it, who had done it. And then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. And he said to her daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter's dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. He didn't let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. And he went in and he said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child's not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. And after he put them them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talithi kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. I want to look at this story that you know really well, but I want to look at it through three lenses. Three explicit lenses. I want to look at it through three points of view. I want to look at it with you and imagining that you're the person in the story. And that's the easiest, in a sense, the easiest way of looking at this story. You could, many of us can imagine ourselves into this story. 
But then I want you to see it from the point of view of, well, what's Jesus doing? And more particularly, what's it tell us about Jesus? And then the third point of view is, what does it mean for us? So there's those three perspectives I just want to spend a few minutes looking at. What does it mean for those in the story, if you imagine yourself into the story? What does it mean to tell us about Jesus? And then, how do we make sense of it? What's our perspective? Story's really clear. A man comes, and uh, he's a synagogue leader. This is a man called Jairus, who presumably in small towns, and this would have been a small town, is, is very aware of Jesus. But although Jesus goes to synagogues, and Jesus worships as part of synagogue, and sometimes is invited to speak in synagogues, Jesus is kind of an outsider. He kind of is always a little dangerous. Prophets often are. And synagogue rulers tend to need order. So what you've got to see is that this man Jairus is not just a desperate father, but he's a man with some standing in the community. He's like, I don't know what the real equivalent would be, but it might be, it might feel like the Bishop of Manchester or a local MP or someone of that kind of sort of standing who people would recognize and say, well, actually, they're kind of, they have some significance. It's not that they're important, but they have significant role within the community. Jairus has social standing. Jesus is outside the system. But Jairus is a man who's on his last chance. What do you do when your 12-year-old daughter is dying? Truth is, you'd do anything. You'd do anything. You'd go anywhere. And it wouldn't be that Jairus has gone to Jesus first. It's actually... We've tried everything else and nothing seems to work. And see Jairus, look at him. Verse 22. One of the synagogue leaders came, Jairus. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. And he pleaded earnestly with him. Please come. So that she will be healed and live picture of a father who at this point is more aware of being a father than he is of being a synagogue ruler. He's more aware of his daughter than he is of his social standing. This man who says, I don't give a fig what this looks like. I'm in a massive crowd and I don't care. I'm going to kneel down in front of this prophet, this teacher, this person that we can't quite get a handle on. I don't care what people think, because right now, the girl, our girl, is dying. That's the picture. What does faith look like for Jairus? I can't control Jesus. I can only plead earnestly. I can't make you come. I can only invite you. I can't authorize it as a synagogue ruler. Don't you know who I am? 
I can only kneel down before you and say, please, please, will you act? And then, and Jesus says, I'll come. And then, that massive, I mean, irritation is not the word for it. There's a scrum of people all around Jesus. And there's one lady who's presumably literally been at the back of the crowd. And she's kind of, and I've got this image of, I've got, you two, I've got the image of someone about <laughs> Pat and Shirley's height. Squeezing in and using elbows. Desperate. This is a lady, Mark tells us. She, what's the problem she's got? Well, um, she can't stop bleeding. It's menstrual bleeding. She can't stop bleeding. And that is not only life sapping, but it's shameful, particularly in this context. And without going into too many obvious details, in the first century, when you haven't got all the medicines and you haven't got all the, the, the sanitary um, things that we have today, that's not a great place to be. She may well have smelt. She was certainly seen as dirty. Not just dirt, dirt but unclean dirt. It's kind of that sort of condition that it's not just that you are ill or dirty, but somehow if you get too close to us, you'll infect us dirt. Not that we will catch what you have, but somehow the fact that you're separated from God, God clearly hasn't cared about you, and somehow that might affect us. We don't want you too close to us. I don't know whether I'm reading too much into the text, but I can almost see her shuffling around on her own, isolated, never able to go to synagogue, not really wanted in people's homes. Let me change the mood for a moment. There was a book written by a guy called The Year of Living Biblically. And what he decided to do was to live by the Old Testament law. Okay? So he would do everything, and he wouldn't do things that he... And he wrote a book about it. And his wife, part of the Old Testament law is, at a certain time of month, um, a woman, Old Testament law, becomes unclean. So if you, you can't sit where she sat. There's a piece in the chapter where, he, where his wife's absolutely going out of her mind because her husband's this nutcase who's trying to live like a, sort of like a, a Jew living in Levitical times. And so she talks about how when he comes through the door, she runs around the house sitting on every chair.
You get the picture? Yeah. Now, now, so you don't want this woman in your home. Because it's not a few days a month. This is permanent, permanent exclusion. But this woman recognized that that man in the middle of the crowd is the only man who can actually deal with my condition. So what does she do? She pushes through. And I've got a feeling that this crowd would be going, oh. And she gets behind Jesus and she just reaches out and touches the bottom of his cloak. And time stands still. And Jesus does that thing of, who touched me? I felt power go at me. And the disciples are going, Jesus, there's a scrum. You're in a scrum, Jesus. And he said, no, no, wait. Something, something's just happened. And he turns to the woman and he says, your faith has healed you. That very act of trying anonymously to reach out and touch, that act has healed you. And I think what Jesus, why Jesus did that, because of course, in a sense, he could have just moved on and she would have been healed. And actually, she wouldn't have been in any different condition. She, you know, she would have been healed, but it would have just been fine. But what's going on at that point is Jesus stops everything. It's like time stands still. And he says to her, it's not just about being healed, but I want you to know it's your faith in me. It's a relationship. It's not just superstition that's actually changed your world. But can you imagine being Jairus? Can you imagine being Jairus? Waiting. Oh, come on. She's been ill 12 years. Another 30 minutes won't hurt. And Jesus says to Jairus, When Jairus is told, it's all over, you're too late, your daughter's died, don't bother with Jesus anymore. Jesus says, don't be afraid, just believe. <coughs> that, that, that phrase, don't, don't be afraid, or, 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 it kind of like echoes the, the storm situation where Jesus is in the storm, do you remember? And he's sleeping on the cushion at the front of the boat and the disciples are straining. This is their place of work. And, um, and, and they wake Jesus up. And Jesus says, why are you afraid? Don't you have faith? And I've been thinking about, well, what did, what did, what did he mean? It's kind of like obvious. We go, well, to be honest, Jesus, we're afraid because the storm. But actually, I think what Jesus is doing in the storm is saying, how do you think this story is going to end? Do you think I'm going to die in a storm? Or do you think God's got a story going on here? And it's the same to Jairus. How do you think this story is going to end, Jairus? Don't be afraid. Just trust. Just trust. Two people coming to Jesus. And Jesus goes into the room and he gets hold of the little girl and he uses those words. And 
Those words, talithikum, are Aramaic words. It's the language that Jesus would have spoken. Uh, the Bible was written in Greek, but it's kind of like they were writing in Greek, but they were translating from the language that Jesus would have used. And it kind of, what appears to have happened is that this is like a, an eyewitness sort of memory. It's like we can remember his exact words, talithikum, just get up, little girl. And then Mark tells you, she was 12 years old, in brackets. It's kind of like... Oh, that's interesting. The woman, 12 years ill. The little girl, 12 years old. That's kind of neat. What's Jesus doing? Well, Jesus is creating order out of chaos. He's creating beauty and meaning out of ugly randomness. That's what Jesus does. He takes our chaos. He takes our randomness and he creates order out of it. It's like in Jesus, the force field of God comes close. It's like God's order comes in. Do you remember I said a few weeks ago that when people say, oh, I can't believe in God because there's so much suffering, there's so much uh, ugliness, etc., etc." It's like, well, actually, you're looking at it from the wrong way around because we say, the reason we believe in Jesus is because Jesus came into the ugliness, he came into the suffering, and actually the force field of God engages with all that's wrecked and ruined. You don't get much more wrecked than the woman who's been excluded for 12 years. You don't get much more wrecked than the little girl who's just died. God steps in, in Jesus. But he's also creating a people, a new people. This new kingdom, what's it look like? We talked earlier as we were going out about the children that we have in our church, a picture of the kingdom. But think about what Mark's showing you here. At the beginning of Mark chapter 5, you have the story of the man who's been delivered from the demons who kept him chained and excluded. He's part of the kingdom. Here you've got a woman who's 12 years ill. She's part of the kingdom. You've got a family with a little girl who's come back to life. They're part of the kingdom. And all of these people who are part of the kingdom have really broken pasts. But he brings them together. And I was thinking about this lady and Jairus. And I was wondering what it feels like to be excluded for 12 years in a small town. And I wonder what it felt like or what it feels like and how long it takes to trust and allow yourself to be loved when for 12 years everybody's wanted nothing to do with you. Because it strikes me that you can be healed physically quicker sometimes than you can be healed of the past. But in the kingdom, we have people who've only known exclusion, who now belong. But we need to be gentle with one another because it takes time to be reminded that you do belong. Because for 12 years, all you've known is being excluded. It takes time and care to be loved. How long does it take you if you have children that when your child is remarkably restored, but every time she coughs then, do you fear, is it going to come back again? 
which leads me to my final slide. These people that you see so well, you get this picture of what Jesus is doing, stepping into the disorder, stepping into the chaos. He comes and he says, I'll deal with all the chaos. And ultimately the chaos is sin. I'll deal with that through the cross. But my final thought is, well, what does it mean for us as a church? And let me try and just slowly go through what I think it means. There's a story that um, Rabbi um, Lionel Blue used to tell when he was alive, Jewish rabbi. And he'd talk about the difference between a Christian and a Jew. And he says, imagine this. He said, imagine you're driving on a long road. Imagine driving on the A580, the East Lanks, towards Manchester. And if you've done this many times, you know, there's just a sort of like a little bit of an, a, a, a sort of an incline. And so as you're driving, you can see Manchester in the, few, in, the, in the distance. And he said, imagine that there was a house in your kind of area, um, or there was a fire in your area where you live. He said, how will the Christian pray? Now, this is a Jew speaking about Christians, so he might not be right. But he says, a Christian will pray, oh God, let that not be my house. <laughs> now, I don't know, you can test this yourself. <laughs> I suspect that's not far off the truth. And he said, the Jew will pray, oh God, how am I going to rebuild my house if that's mine? <laughs> And what he was saying was this. He's saying, the Jew goes, there's a house on fire. It might be mine, it might not be mine. If it's mine, it is. If it's not mine, God's not going to blow it out and light someone else's. So I just have to get on with it. I have to deal with the cards that are being dealt. It's kind of like, hey, it's like that Jewish shrug. What can you do, my boy? This is what faith looks like for people like us. Some of us do the Jewish shrug. What can you do? I believe in God, but hey, what can you do, my boy? And a Jewish synagogue ruler goes, I don't believe. I just need to shrug my shoulders and go, hey, what can you do? I believe this Jesus can actually change things. I believe this Jesus can actually, actually overturn everything that's just happened. I'm not going to just shrug my shoulder and go, hey, what can you do? And I want to challenge myself and I want to challenge you as well about this idea of how do we see Jesus and how do we see faith? Because I think sometimes it's easy to settle for the, hey, my boy. And you have two people who were willing to lose face who are willing to fight their way through a crowd, who are willing to make themselves vulnerable and go, Jesus, I've got nothing else except you. I'm going to push through for you. <coughs> I don't know where you are today, but people are unashamed of being vulnerable, aware that their position and their strength will not help them, willing to lose face with Jesus, willing to be determined, willing to trust that all of their stained lives can be made clean, willing to say that everything that's been shameful about me can be resolved. People who say, I've got no hope. My hope is built on nothing less.
than Jesus and his righteousness. And you can't help but feel the other challenge for us is it's one thing for people to come and we get this ever such a lot. People say this ever such a lot to us. They say, yeah, the problem with your church is you all look like you're really together. They say it about you. I know it's ridiculous. <laughs> but they do. We get that said to us all the time. They say, yeah, but it's all right. But you lot, we go to your church and you're all looking great. <laughs> the answer is, have you never spoken to any of these people? <laughs> but they do. And the truth is, I can stand here and go, you do, you look great, you look fine, you look normal. I mean, I'm stretching it, but you know what I mean. You do. But this is the truth. Here's the truth. You and I both know that many of you, many of us, carry stuff. It's one thing to be healed, it's quite another to be carrying the fear of what if it comes back again. It's one thing to say, I'm included, but I've had 12 years of just feeling excluded. It takes longer for that to heal. It, it's one thing to say, I've been, I've been forgiven. It's quite another thing to say, how do I remember my own past? It's one thing to say, God loves me. It's quite another to say, I can lift my head up. How do we help one another with that? Because I think the point is, the reason you're putting communities together is that you might actually help one another with that. And it's not that there's the givers and receivers. There's like, oh, well, we're the ones who really need to be, you know, we need the help. And then there's people who can, they're strong, they can give the help. It's actually, we're all in the same boat, folks. So be gentle with one another. For you have no idea what you're treading on. Be careful how you judge one another. Be careful how you assume you understand why people act like they act. Because we carry so much. But we're part of a community of people who are being healed. <coughs> what does faith look like? Finally. Faith looks like a man who says, I can't stand on my dignity. Because I'm aware of I need Jesus more than my dignity. It looks like a woman who goes, there's no one else I can go to. She took a massive risk, didn't she? Because Jesus could have turned around and gone, get off me. You're making me unclean. But instead he turned around and went, I can make you clean. This is the Jesus we worship.